Jeffrey Foucault is one of those triple threat musicians. He writes profound songs, he sings in a way that cuts straight to your heart, and he plays guitar effortlessly, and in any which way that's necessary to serve the song. And that's exactly what you'll be discovering today. Today's show is all about learning Jeffrey Foucault's guitar playing style. Hey TAC family, this is episode 261 of the Acoustic Tuesday show. This show is packed full of inspiration and fun designed to help you get more fulfillment, progress, and joy from your guitar journey. Throughout today's episode, I'll be sprinkling in some acoustic news you can use, which includes a fiddler's impactful quote, a builder's battle, which I know for a fact you can relate to, and much, much more. Plus, I'll be sharing some comments from the Mule Guitars episode one of which got my hackles up. We'll get to all of that in due time, but first, go ahead and grab your guitar. Let's learn some guitar lessons from the great singer, songwriter, and guitar player, Jeffrey Foucault. I've got 10 lessons from Jeffrey that I wanna share with you, so let's get started. Lesson number 10, space. It's okay to not play. Jeffrey exercises great restraint when it comes to certain songs, because I think he knows that Sometimes not playing has more impact than if you play a bunch. Case in point, the song Blues for Jesse May. Hear what he does here. He just uses one repeated riff, not a bunch of notes, to drive home the mood of the song. The only way I can get to heaven is to love everybody. The only way I can get to heaven it's to love everybody The only way I can get to heaven The only way I can get to heaven The only way I can get to heaven Is to love everybody Lesson number nine, emphasize the one. Now I'm talking about rhythm guitar here. I'm gonna show you a clip of Jeffrey playing the song Northbound 35. Now note, this is a waltz. So generally speaking, the one is already emphasized by nature of the rhythm. But this is not an isolated example of Jeffrey using this technique. He uses it pretty much in all of the songs that I've heard him play. Some more prominent than others, but this is a great example of how emphasizing the one can not only keep you on track, but add some really interesting rhythmic dynamics to a song. Let's look at the clip and then I'll show you how to do it. look at just a small bit of the chorus here because I want you to focus on your picking hand and again emphasizing that one, simply playing it louder than the other beats. Now if you want to play along with me, I'm capoed on the second fret, I'm going to be using a G shape, an F shape, a C shape, back to G. Okay, and again, emphasizing the one just means playing it louder. I'm gonna count along with it, feel free to play along with me. Two measures per chord. It'll sound like this. Count along. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, 
there you can see kind of that that prominent one beat and then the other beats kind of fade off into the, the background, if you will, in terms of dynamic level. This brings us to lesson number eight, and that is using eighth note transitions. And I'm specifically talking about strumming here. Let's go ahead and listen to an example first, and then I'll show you how to do it. Here's Jeffrey playing his song, Mesa, Arizona. All alone in a Mexican joint in Mesa, Arizona. Maybe at your band on the jukebox and the empty Corona. What's funny is that this is almost the opposite of emphasizing the one because what's being emphasized here is the three and four and, the series of eighth notes that leads to the start of the next measure. Now, for the sake of, well, you playing along with me, uh, I'm capoed on the third fret. I'm gonna be using a G shape, uh, an E minor, and then a C, okay? And what I'll be doing is playing one, two, three, and four, and one, two, three and four and. You'll see what I mean by emphasizing that three and four and, that eighth note chord transition. Here's how it sounds. One, two, three and four and. So that three and four and is kind of ramped up dynamically, signifying the upcoming one, but also helping that chord transition kind of chug along. Which brings me to lesson number seven, and that is strumming location. You'll notice that Jeffrey's guitar is pretty well worn back by the bridge, up above the bridge and then slightly below the bridge. And that's because of where he strums on the guitar. And I believe it is a conscious, conscious choice because uh, his voice, the timbre of his voice is, is very mid-rangey, much like, well, I guess all of our voices are. And to help the guitar pop through, I think he chooses to strum by the bridge because it has a far more articulate sound than if you go over the sound hole. In fact, I found a great clip of him uh, really exercising this location on the guitar while he sings the song, Train to Jackson. Cut my hair. I caught a train to Jackson. I took a name I found, a range where my voice could make no sound. I met a man who told me, son, I see you on the run. If you tell me where you're going, I'll tell you where you're back. Lesson number six is combining elements of finger picking along with strumming. And I feel like this is almost turning into a masterclass on dynamics and rhythm. Because what I'm gonna show you right now is Jeffrey playing the song Little Warble. And you're gonna notice that his thumb and index finger carry the one and beat, and then he strums heavy on the two. And this kind of plays out throughout the entire song. Again, another way to accent different rhythms, but I really want you to focus on his right hand technique because he's using his thumb and index finger for the delicate finger picking part and then strumming on, well, the strummed part. Here's the sample and then I'll show you how to do it. 
just outside of Eldridge with all the old farmers and their wives. Yeah, we got into a fight and you were smoking cigarettes. Now let me show you how to use that technique. I'm not gonna show you how to play the exact song, but what we're gonna do is capo on the first fret, grab an E chord, and then I'm gonna show you this pattern, okay? It's gonna go thumb, index, strum, and. So we're gonna take our thumb, hit that low E string, index on the D, strum with the tops of your fingernails, and then grab that high E string on the way up. I'll do this slowly so you can kind of play along with me and understand this pattern. It goes one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and. And you're gonna notice that that two and the four are going to be dynamically elevated. So let me play it at speed. I'll count along with it so you can hear where that accent lies. Sounds like this. One and two and three and four and one and two and three and four and. Pretty great little technique that you can use if you're more of a, um, a finger player than you are a flat pick player, I should say a finger style player. Uh, I chose to use a thumb pick there, but of course you don't have to. That brings us to lesson number five, and that is adding licks or hooks. You know, oftentimes Jeffrey plays solo or in smaller duo formats, so there's a lot of heavy heavy lifting that hap <laughs> there's a lot of heavy lifting that has to occur to make the song interesting and give it different layers. Now we're gonna listen to the same exact song. Little Warble, the one that I just showed you how to do the rhythm technique, and I want you to listen to how he adds this wonderful hook slash lick that kind of pulls you into the song and adds another layer. I'm not gonna show you the exact lick, but I just want you to see the effect that it has on how interesting the song is. Lesson number four is dead thumb. Using the dead thumb to create this wonderful droning bass. First we'll watch Jeffrey do it and then I'll show you. Here's his song, Stripping Cane. what he's doing there. He's grabbing an A minor chord, using his pinky to access various notes. Third fret of the high E, third fret of the B, and then his index finger is on the first fret of that B because of the A minor shape, and then an open B, and then back to the A minor. Okay, so. Something along those lines. Not exactly what he plays, but it's really not the point. I want you to focus on the technique here. His thumb, is just riding the A string. Okay, that's all it's doing, a dead thumb, creating this wonderful drone that he can use this spooky kind of motif, or rather that he can play this spooky motif over. Let me go ahead and show you what he's playing uh, on this guitar. I'll do it slowly, so if you wanna play along, go ahead and play along. It sounds like this.
great technique to use if you're creating kind of a, a, I guess a mood where you need that nice steady droning bass, or you just wanna add some bass presence to whatever you happen to be playing. This brings us to lesson number three, and that is dynamics. Now I feel like all of these lessons have incorporated dynamics to, to one degree, but specifically I wanna show you how he uses palm muting along with full-on strumming to create this wonderful dynamic wave. Here's a sample of Jeffrey doing that, and then I'll show you how, well, you can apply it to your own playing. So that was his song, Everybody's Famous, and it has a really interesting chord progression, but we're not here for the chord progression, we're here for the technique, which is this fluctuation between palm muting and full-on strumming. But let me go ahead and show you a piece of the song because again, I think the chord progression is interesting. We're capoed on the fifth fret here, we're gonna play an E minor. Then we're gonna take whatever finger's fretting the D string and drop it to the first fret of the D string kind of an interesting chord. Don't know what it is, but it sounds cool. Then we're gonna move to a G, then an A minor. And each chord has a starting out palm muting and then going to a full on strum right before the transition. So not only is this a dynamic play, it also kind of alerts the listener to the upcoming chord, uh, chord transition, I should say. So here's what this chord progression sounds like with palm muting on the front end and then full on strumming on the back end. Change the chord, go back to palm muting, full on strumming, change the chord, palm muting, full on strumming. I think you get the idea. Here's how it sounds. So it's a nice way to, again, create this kind of pulse, this kind of wave that goes through the music. The final two lessons I have for you are more, I will, I will call them philosophical lessons or rather observations. Lesson number two is be in the moment. Whenever I've seen Jeffrey play, he seems to let the performance come to him. There's no rigidity, there's no tenseness, it's very relaxed and he seems very in the moment. I've seen him play numerous times, I've played with him and I feel as though he's kind of letting the song dictate where he goes and each night is different. He seems to sometimes get lost in the song in a good way to where it's just effortless in terms of what he's playing. It's really a treat to see, it's really a treat to be a part of and if you find yourself ever playing a song, I. I want you to try it out. Just get lost in the song. Try and abandon the structure part of it and just feel, well, just feel, I guess. Uh, which brings me to lesson number one, and that is be inspired. And I feel like Jeffrey is inspired by uh, 
numerous avenues, one of which being great authors. I know for a fact, just in talking with him, that he's a huge fan of writing in general. I think Jim Harrison is probably one of his favorite authors of all time. I don't mean to speak for him. This is just what I gather. And then in, in, included with being inspired is surrounding yourself with inspirational players. You know, Jeffrey plays with um, Eric Haywood, great pedal steel player. He plays with Eric Koskinen, a fantastic guitar player. And he played with the late Billy Conway on percussion, all of whom I think are players at the top of their game, but more importantly, players that also serve the song more so than trying to show off their talents. Talents. Wow. Um, so again, I, I think being inspired can come in many different shapes and forms, but certainly what Jeffrey reads inspires him, but also the people that he plays with. Now, those were 10 lessons from Jeffrey and his guitar playing and his approach to music. And in the comments below, I want to know one of two things, very different things. Uh, number one, are you a Jeffrey Foucault fan? And if that's the case, what's your favorite song by him? And the second thing I wanna know is, are you brand new to Jeffrey Foucault? Did you like what you hear or like what you heard? Uh, go ahead and let me know in the comments below. Time for your first dose of acoustic news you can use. And we're gonna kick things off with an event that happened at IBMA. Norman Blake was inducted into the Bluegrass Hall of Fame. Huge congratulations to Norman Blake. And who inducted him? None other than Bob Minner, friend of the Acoustic Tuesday show. It was so cool to see Bob induct Norman Blake into the Hall of Fame. I cannot imagine what it's like to talk about one of your heroes and then induct them into such a prestigious Hall of Fame. Now, I don't have any clips from that induction. However, I have an awesome clip of Bob and Norman playing together. Yeehaw. I wonder where I learned that from. Next, a quote from a fiddle player that will give you freedom in your guitar playing. You'll see what I mean. Brittany Haas was just interviewed on the podcast, Basic Folk one that you should add to your list of podcasts that you should subscribe to. You know, we went over those last week. Anyways, this podcast was featured on the Bluegrass Situation. You can also get it at basicfolk.com or wherever else you get your podcasts. But while Brittany was being interviewed, she said this, and it really struck me because it kind of allows you to take the, uh, the bumpers off your guitar playing, if you will. Here's what Brittany said. I think perfectionism drives you and helps you get good but hopefully you abandon that and get experimental. I just love that. It's like a license to just create with reckless abandon. Seriously, just take the bumpers off and go create. It's really fun. A lot of times we get into the rut of what we should do or what we're supposed to do. And here, this is just free license to say, you know what, screw it, I'm just gonna create. Let's hit the rewind button and go back to episode 258 of Acoustic Tuesday, where I talked about mule resonator guitars. I wanna dig into some comments from that show. The first one comes from Robert Farmer and he says this. Hey Tony, bought my mule number 620 from Matt after watching your review of the original. Best neck ever. Matt made mine and I got pictures of each build step. It is the only one I own that sits on a stand all the time. Play it every day. It is sensitive to sounds in the room and sometimes I can hear it humming when other noises are made in the room. 
met and hung out with Matt at NAM this year on his invitation and was greeted like an old friend. Got to meet Murphy also. I was made to feel like one of the boys as we stood around drinking beer and playing music. He treats each new customer as extended family. If you had been there, it would have been the trifecta of my guitar heroes. Thanks for the recommendation and your show. My mantra to everyone I know that plays or struggles is just 10 minutes a day. I know this guy, Tony, that can help you. Awesome stuff, Robert. I'm so glad you had a chance to meet Matt in person. And uh, thank you very much for the kind words as well. Um, just, just awesome to hear that you're preaching the 10 minutes a day as well. I know for a fact it helps out everybody I've told it to, so I'm glad that you're spreading the word as well. Our next comment comes from William Fair. He says this, Love blues and swampy Americana. Resonators have always grabbed my ear, but I've never owned one. Always figured I'd pick up a national one day. Then I saw and heard a mule, Mavis. And after eight plus months on the waiting list, Matt and company are building my Mavis now. Can't wait to spend a lot of sweet time with her. Uh, so awesome to hear. Uh, William, I'm so excited for you and your Mavis. And thank you so much for your comment. I know for a fact you'll enjoy the heck out of that guitar. Okay, uh, let me go ahead and um, just take a break. I know you may have put your guitar away from the first segment of the show, but go ahead and grab it again. We're going to dig in and see what the TAC family is working on today. Every day within Tony's Acoustic Challenge, the TAC family focuses on one of the five essential categories of guitar improvement. On Mondays, you work on technique. Tuesdays, a guitar lick. Wednesdays, improvisation. Thursdays, rhythm guitar. And Fridays, chord transitions. Today is Tuesday. The TAC family is working on a guitar lick. And here is what they're working on. Punch it. That's the name of your guitar lick challenge today, because it uses pull-offs to punch the rhythm. In fact, whenever you play bluegrass guitar, at least in my opinion, and you add a pull-off, it does this thing to the rhythm. It, it adds an exclamation point. It punches it, if you will. Hence the name of today's guitar lick. In fact, hence the name of all of the challenges within Tony's Acoustic Challenge this week. Every single challenge has a boxing-themed name because in every challenge, you'll be integrating pull-offs in one form or another to punch the rhythm. So let me go ahead and play this lick for you. This is a bluegrass guitar lick in the key of G. I think you're really gonna dig it, and I think you're gonna understand pretty quickly why it's named Punch It. one of those licks that if you blink, you're going to miss it. But in all seriousness, let me play it just a little bit slower so you can kind of digest what's happening here. And the part to me that really punches it is the final part. I mean, a pull off into that open G string. Mm it definitely adds an exclamation point to the rhythm. Now, for you folks that want to learn this note by note, TACFAM, all you have to do is log in on your homepage, click Start Challenge, and you'll be whisked away to this very guitar lick challenge. You'll go right into the teaching video, and after that, you can play along with me in the play along video. And if you're more of a tab learner, or if you wanna pull up the tab just to make sure what you're playing is what I'm playing, go ahead and click the tab icon in the lower right-hand corner, and you can pull up that tab in a separate window and follow right along with me with exactly what I'm playing. So, so how do you use this lick within a musical context? This is one of those licks that, to me, once you learn it, it's kind of like, okay, this is really cool. I want to play it as much as I can. Where do I place it? 
there's actually a lot of places that you can use this. And I'm gonna show you just a few examples just to kind of get your wheels turning a little bit as to where you could use this in your guitar playing. The first instance is just simply playing rhythm and adding a little bit of punch to your rhythm. So on you strum a G chord, and then in between measures, you throw this lick in there, and then you come back to a G chord. Here's how that sounds. So as you can tell, it's a great way to add a little bit of dimension, add a little bit of depth to your rhythm guitar offerings. Yes, it's a guitar lick, but you can use it within your rhythm guitar to, well, spice things up a little bit. The second scenario in which you could use this doesn't even involve the entire lick. It just involves the punch it portion, that pull off off the D string into that open G. You can use it in the same exact setting that I just used the entire lick, but you're just using those last few notes. Here's how that sounds. As you can tell, that's the exclamation that I'm talking about. In fact, the more that you play it like that, the more you really wanna dig in. Now there's a final scenario that I wanna share with you in terms of how you can use this lick, and that's just simply during a solo. You can use it to enter a solo, you can use it to leave a solo. It's a nice, it's a nice way to either bookend your solo, use it on the front end or the back end, or just kind of open your solo, introduce your solo, if you will, or add that exclamation point at the end. Here's an example. So yeah, just kind of a lot of notes there, but, but you get the idea that you can enter a solo using this lick and then you can kind of leave the solo using this lick. As I mentioned, it adds a nice kind of bookend feature. Okay, so I hope you really dug this lick and I hope you find it well, fun to play because this is the first bluegrass lick that I used aside from the G run, which is this. <laughs> that I really enjoy. I really, I felt like once I learned this, I thought, man, this is so cool. I feel, I feel almost flashy. I didn't know how to use it, and hopefully this helped you learn how to use it. But uh, bottom line, I think it's a really awesome lick. And I want to mention something specific to bluegrass licks, specific to bluegrass flat picking. There's this myth that you have to play everything fast. And if you can't play it fast, then you quite simply have lost the race. That's kind of funny. It's, it's kind of a pun in a way. But in all seriousness, you don't have to play this fast. In fact, I would much rather you play it slowly and cleanly with good tone and good technique than play it fast and sacrifice those things. In fact, I may have even pushed it a little bit in my demo. Really, take this step by step. Take it note for note. Make sure those pull-offs are clean. Make sure those hammer-ons are clean. Make sure those single notes are clean. And then once you get comfortable with each little section, then build the speed on top of that. If you don't have a solid foundation of good, solid, strong notes, hammer-ons, and pull-offs, then once you start adding speed, things are just gonna fall apart. So yes, I know it's cliche, 
but you have to take it slow first. Once you take it slow, then you can take it fast. Okay, best of luck with this bluegrass lick. Just a few more comments from the Mule Guitars episode, and then you'll get your second dose of acoustic news you can use, which includes some new music and a builder fighting a battle I can guarantee you have fought yourself. You'll see what I mean here in a moment, but on to those comments. This next one comes from Rochelle McKnight, and she says this. Hi, Tony, I love your show. You always have such interesting and useful tips and topics, as well as bringing light to gear I don't know about. Your video about how to play without a pick was the info I needed when I first started playing four years ago and was struggling, so I owe you a lot. I have a dozen acoustic guitars, but I don't play with an amp, nor do I know how to play with a slide. So would a resonator be pointless for me, or can you play them unplugged? I think they sound so cool, but I don't know much about them. Love from Texas. Well, Rochelle, love right back to Texas from Montana. Let me go ahead and answer your question. You can play a resonator without an amp. You can play a resonator without a slide. Resonator guitars sound incredible acoustically because they have this wonderful internal reverb. You don't need an amp for that. And I think a lot of times the myth is you have to play slide if you play resonator guitar. That is simply not true. You can play them with a flat pick. You can finger pick them. You can do whatever you want with them. They function incredibly well as purely acoustic instruments. In fact, uh, for the majority of the time I play a resonator guitar, it's generally unplugged. Um, but it is fun to plug them in. But again, you don't have to. Uh, the final comment comes from Tadpole Init. And this is the one that got my hackles up. You'll see what I mean here in a moment. Let me go ahead and read it. The $3,300 Mulecaster seems to look and sound remarkably similar to a $1,200 Fender Telecaster. The Mulecaster has an eight month wait list. The Telecaster you can buy today. It seems you can't order a Mulecaster outside the States, not even Canada. Mulecasters played on YouTube seem to rely upon the particular amp slash pedals being used. So why is Tony getting so dang gooey-eyed about this lump of kitchen chopping board with a maple neck? If you think it's so good, I got a bridge I want to sell you. You know, I usually don't feature negative comments, but this one, this one bothered me for two reasons. Just because I like something doesn't mean you have to like something. I simply am sharing my opinion. If you don't agree with it, that's totally fine. You can disagree with me in the comments. That's totally fine. But don't, don't dog me for liking something. You can disagree with somebody without dogging them. I think a lot of times guitar snobbery takes this form. Just because I like something and somebody else doesn't, that's okay. We can agree to disagree. We all have different opinions. We all have different love of different gear. But you can't knock somebody for loving something that they love. Maybe it inspires them. And the mule caster inspires me. Furthermore, I think there's some factual data that is missing here. Uh, yes, the mule caster is about $3,300. Yes, a Fender Telecaster is about $1,200. However, the mule caster isn't made out of wood. I would never use it as a cutting board because it would dull knives. The mule caster is made out of steel. It is a hollow bodied Telecaster style guitar made out of steel. So that's a huge fact missing from this comment. Furthermore, I don't understand Fender's lineup right now. Yeah, a Telecaster is $1,200, but is it the American Performer, the American Professional, the American Ultra, the American Ultra 2? Is it an American Original? 
I don't know. I've been looking at Telecasters on the Fender website, and I am very, very confused. So that's that's my thoughts of this comment. Um, again, if somebody loves something and you don't, you don't have to agree with them, but don't knock them. We're all guitar geeks here. We want to support one another. Feel free to love what you love, and I'll feel free to love what I love. Okay, moving on to your second dose of acoustic news you can use. I just saw this and I am so, so pumped on so many levels. Billy Strings just announced he's got a new album coming out November 18th. As long as I can remember, I've wanted to make a record with my dad. He's the one who taught me how to play. The final thing that I have for you is a rather important one. It comes from E.J. Henderson. If that name does not ring a bell, let me explain. E.J. Henderson is a fine, high-end luthier, an incredible guitar builder. She happens to be the daughter of another incredible guitar builder, Wayne Henderson. She posted something on Facebook that got me thinking. In fact, I have had this saved for quite some time, and I've read it. Uh, time and time again to just help me understand that we're all humans and we all have our own battles and struggles. This in particular deals with uh, imposter syndrome to a degree, but also this lack of trust that we have in ourselves. And it's really unfounded, but I thought from one guitar player to another that you needed to hear this because we have to start trusting ourselves. Trust your ear, trust your gut. If it sounds good, it is good. Now, EJ doesn't say that specifically, but she has her own way of saying this in terms of guitar building. Check this out. I hate to admit it, but the voice that's the loudest saying I can't do this is mine. I'm wrong though. When my dad came down for a baseball game last week, I asked him to double check everything for me. He said no. He said he was sure I had it right and got in his car to drive home. Today, when I asked if he would FaceTime with me after stringing this brand new OM up to make sure I had the neck angle correct, he said no again. He's right though. I don't need him to do that for me even though it's really comforting to have that humongous safety net. But the thing is, even though I can't play like him, I do know what a comfortable action is. More than that, I know how to change it if it isn't. If I had to, I know how to take the neck back out and change that neck angle, to lower the saddle, tighten the truss rod, dress the frets. I'm not sure why I don't always believe that myself, my work, and my knowledge is enough, but it is, and so are you. Uh, I suggest you find that on Facebook and save it and read it like once a week. It's just a really powerful statement from a builder that from the outside is so accomplished and so capable. But to understand that she struggles with that lack of trust in herself as well, that lack of belief is, is almost comforting. 
we're all in this together. We're all humans going through our own human experiences, but there's a lot of commonality in that, especially with us guitar players. So I wanted to share that with you. And I think with that, it's a great time to wrap up the Acoustic Tuesday show for today. But first, yes, indeed, let's take a sneak peek into next week. Next week is dedicated to thumb picks. I'll be sharing with you my favorite thumb picks that I love using that you may want to use yourself. That's happening next week on the Acoustic Tuesday show. Remember, you can catch Acoustic Tuesday every single Tuesday at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. One more thing before I let you go, your guitar success, however you define it, is directly related to your guitar routine. So please invest the time in developing your guitar routine and make sure to have fun every single day that you play. Thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. Thank you for being a guitar geek and I'll see you next Tuesday on the Acoustic Tuesday Show. Cheers and guitar geeks unite.